0: As we come now to the scripture, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word. It sustains us, it fills us, it protects us, it keeps us. um, How amazing it is to have a book that's like no other book, that's alive. These words not simply jump off the page at us, but words that bring life and your grace to us. So we give you thanks. Help us now, please, as we read and think and believe. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Ephesians in chapter 6. I want to read verses 10 through 20, Ephesians, and chapter 6, please. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers... Words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And together we say the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I want, if God will help me, to take up just the beginning of this passage, uh, verses 10 uh, through 13 the whole of it i think for many of us is a familiar passage if you grew up in church i'm sure that at one time in your elementary school ages you saw a picture that you colored or somehow filled in of a roman soldier in armor and each piece was labeled of truth and righteousness and all that all that kind of thing and and we take that image because it's likely that paul when he wrote this was in prison and he was likely perhaps chained to or at least had before him he could see uh, such a person and it may have cued very well in his mind uh, this image so that he could write it up as he did and and while that could well be true uh, Paul would have written this even if he hadn't seen such a soldier they didn't exist because all of these images that we have here are of God himself and his Messiah we'll get to that next week But through the prophecy of Isaiah and in many of the Psalms, we find God is pictured like this. And his Messiah pictured like this. And so this armor that we'll get to, not this week, but next week, uh, this armor really is God's. It really is the armor of God. It really is his. And so we'll see how it fit him, how it's to fit us um, as well. But Paul begins this passage here. uh, with the word "finally," and, and it means a bit more than what preachers rarely mean by it, but should when they say "finally" in their sermons. Uh, it doesn't simply mean, "Hey, I'm getting to the end." You know, you can you can you know pull the hymnal out. We don't have hymnals, or whatever it is that people do when they think the sermon's about to end. Uh, get ready to cough, I think, or whatever. But the uh, uh, but he says "finally," and again, he means a great deal more than just "I'm coming to the end." He really means, I want you to, to, to get what I'm about to say. Because what I'm about to say is necessary for you to understand. And to be able to live out everything I've already told you. Given what I've already told you, you need to know this. If you don't know this, you won't be able to live that out. Because what he wants to tell us is that there's a battle going on. You see, that's the motif here. That's, the, that's kind of the, the main theme of this, these verses. You know that when you listen to me read or if you read through it and, and you've read through it before, you, you know that, that we're here in this part often labeled as this spiritual warfare, that we're in this battle, this war with, with that which we can't see, but that which is really real and that which is evil that comes against us. And so, so that's, that's what we're looking at at, at here and so, so, so we get that. And what Paul is saying to us, uh, we need to be strong. And to be strong, we need this armor that he's going to describe. As I mentioned, we'll get to the armor next time. It may take a couple of weeks to walk through some of that. But, but, but what I want to see, these two imperatives, the armor, that is what he says, put on the whole armor of God, is the second one. But this first one. This first one in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his, of his might. You see, he, 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 he's telling us uh, you need to be strong individually and corporately, not just as individual Christians, but as the church. Individually and corporately, you need to be strong. And you haven't got the strength within you. That the strength comes from God. You need his strength, not your own strength. And so he says, be strong. Now, it's interesting, just in the way the grammar works out, that it's very likely that this is what's called a, sorry for a little grammar this early in the morning, a passive imperative. It's an imperative in that it's a command, but it's passive in the sense that it's something happening to you. So he's actually commanding us in a sense, to receive something, to get something, to, to, to be made strong, he's saying. That's the command. Be made strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be made strong. Uh, one scholar, commentator put it like this. He said, the verb is best taken as passive. Be strengthened or be made strong. The simple exhortation, be strong, is both dangerous and useless. Self-reliance in spiritual warfare is suicidal. Believers do not strengthen themselves. Our strength must come from an external source, namely the Lord. The strength of an earthly general is in his troops. But in the Christian life, the strength of the troops is in their general. That is the Lord who gives us strength. To see that. So it makes sense to you. If it doesn't, nothing else will. The, the point is that we need strength that comes only from the Lord if we're to be who he set us up to be in all that he's written, and to do all that he's called us to do in everything that he's written. We need this strength. You see, he says, there's something stronger than we are. That's against us. Not stronger than the Lord, but stronger than we are. This evil and this evil one. And all that goes along with that. And if we're not made strong in the Lord, then we won't be able to carry on. And so he says, you you must be... And, and it's always true. I mean, as human beings, we realize as creatures, we're always dependent. We're not independent. We're always dependent upon God. Uh, even the atheist <laughs> needs God to give him breath and life and all of that. Even the very breath that he uses or she uses to say, "I don't believe in God," comes from God. That that breath uh, and life, and so so so, we're always dependent. But we realize, as believers, that we're truly dependent upon God. If we are to carry out to be and to carry out all that He uh, calls us uh, to do, we need Him to give us a strength, and, and, and that's always the case. So, if you get nothing else, just these first few minutes this morning to, to just be reminded of, of, of the fact that you need strength and you need the restraint that comes from God. For instance. And we see this throughout all the scripture. Uh, for instance, uh, David, King David, even while King Saul was king and still alive, you might remember that whole story of Saul and, and David. and, and, and David, Saul had been the first king and then David had been anointed as king even while Saul was alive and still being king and all of that. And David was running and hiding from Saul and Saul was after him and all that. Well, there was an incident wherein uh, David and his running and so forth uh, was away from Uh, with his group of army men and so forth, his soldiers. And they were away, and uh, while he was away, the enemy came into uh, where his people were, the city where his, the the wives and children of him and the others in his army, and came in and, and took them all captive and burned down the city And so when David and his men came back, he found that that their families were gone, taken captive, and the city was burned. And and so there was enough grief there. But then uh, all the people turned against David and said, this is your fault. We weren't here. We were out with you. And so they all turned against him. And and here's what the scripture says. 1 Samuel 30. You need to turn to this. But it's 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his own sons and daughters. Very understandable. But it's this statement that catches us. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. See, at that point, how would you be, how would you feel everyone turned against you? Where would you find strength? For David, he went to the Lord. Now, no doubt he prayed. No doubt he went to worship. No doubt he Meditated, concentrated on the things that were true about God, this very one who knew the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This very one no doubt began to meditate on who the Lord was and in so doing was strengthened. One of my favorite, as you know, if you've hung around me long enough, uh, one of my favorite people in all the Bible is a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. Uh, I was first attracted to him as a kid just because of his name. Uh, But... uh, I was told, Karen, if we had two sons, we'd name the second one Jehoshaphat. We had a son and two daughters by the grace of God, uh, but uh, but but you know that that incident, the story, uh, Jehoshaphat, for whatever reason, was 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 with his people, and 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 and, and the army was primarily gone, but Jehoshaphat was with the rest, and, and he looked up on all four four corners of of, of his area, and he saw a different enemy, and, and he knew he couldn't defend himself, he knew he had no hope, and, and so he turned, and scripture says he was afraid, and he turned and sought the Lord, and when he turned and sought the Lord, he was strengthened by these words the prophet came to him and said don't be afraid don't be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours but God's and all of a sudden he realized something that he had had forgotten he thought he was alone and he wasn't alone and and there he was and the prophet reminded him of the truth that the battle isn't yours it's God's and once he realized that God was with him then he was strengthened. And so the word came to him. You don't need to fight this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. From Jehoshaphat, I'm thinking, if it's a battle, the Lord's not in then let him go. But he said, no, you go. You go. You still go. The Lord will be with you. It'll still look bad, it'll still just be you. Still the enemies will be looking stronger than you. But the Lord will be with you, just go. And if you remember the outcome, uh, Jehoshaphat called the people together to sing. And as they sang, these other armies defeated themselves, if you will. And certainly David, the, this great one, this great um, psalmist, would, would, would know how to, how to pray for instance, in Psalm, in Psalm 18, when, when, when David was in great distress, he writes, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my, from my enemies. And see, he was strengthened in the Lord by by knowing that, by knowing that the Lord is his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, his refuge, his shield, the horn of his salvation, his stronghold. And so he knew that he could call upon the Lord. And so verse six it says, in my distress. I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. He kept him and he gave him. Strength. So, that's the sense of it. That's what the apostle is saying to us. Given the battle that's before us, we need to be strengthened. And the only way we can be strengthened is from the outside, which means in the Lord, he must come and be with us and even be within us. And so so when he says in the Lord, he's saying that we must be joined in some way, some spiritual but real way. We must be joined together with the Lord. We must be in him. We must receive this strength in him. Now, the technical theological language of that is that we, are, we have union with Christ. We're joined with him. We're joined with him in such a way that that which is of him, true of him, then is Given to us. We understand that in the context of our salvation. In Christ we're forgiven our sins. Why? Because He died for our sins, and when He died, joined with Him, we died that we might be forgiven. We we know that in Christ we have life, because when He rose we were in Him and we rose. So we have new life in Him, you see. But not only that, but in Him we have strength. His strength is in us. You might remember the, the the image that Jesus gave to us. This is in John chapter fifteen, verse five. Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. So we think about what that means. We think about that image of a vine and branches from it. We know the branches live because the vine is alive. They don't live unless they're attached to the vine, and they don't live unless the vine is alive. The vine dies, they die If they're they're disassociated from the, 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 the vine, they die as well So Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches Whoever abides in me, that word abide means to live in To remain in, to stay there, to be attached I'm the vine, you're the branches Whoever abides in me and I in him He is it that bears much fruit Here's the key For apart from me, you can do nothing now, fortunately, the corollary of that is true as well. In me, then you can do all the things I call you to do. And so joined with him, there's strength. And so, you see, Paul isn't here to scare us about all these spiritual forces and all that sort of thing. He's here to encourage us. He's here to say, listen, this is, this is what's true of you. As, if you're in the Lord, then his strength is your strength. And you can rely upon it and you can receive it. And so do that. Do that. Receive this strength that is yours, he says, in the Lord. And of course, to do that, we must belong to him. Right? And to belong to him follows this same sort of paradigm. See, the paradigm here is that we understand our weakness and our need for his strength. Well, the paradigm for our salvation is the same. We realize our weakness and sin and our inability to deal with it. But yet we realize, on the other hand, his strength and that he has dealt with it. And so we turn to him. So the the beauty, and I, I know I go back to this so often because it's just part of my own being. But I go back to these words of Jesus so often. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Says that's where you begin, people. You begin by admitting your spiritual bankruptcy. You begin by, by admitting you have nothing to offer God and any sort of goodness that he would be so inclined to say, "You're good enough for me. You've earned it?" No, no. We begin this whole life with him by recognizing His holiness and our own sinfulness. That we've, as the apostle puts it, have fallen short of the glory of God. He's created us to to reflect his glory. He's reflected us to be glorious. And we look at our lives, and, and it's, it's a bit mixed as we look at them. But we, we realize, I don't think it's glorious like he has made me to be. I don't see my compassion as being glorious. I don't see my love for others as being glorious. I don't see my love for him as being glorious. And so, so I, I see I don't reflect him as I... So he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. When, you, when you're there, you see, and the kingdom of God is given. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over what? Over the state of your own soul. Mourn over your sin and the sin of humanity. Oh, there's comfort. And what's the comfort? Forgiveness. Blessed are the meek. Who are the meek? <laughs> the meek are those who are humbled. And he said, I, I can't. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. In the the whole midst of that, you see, what I really need is righteousness, but I haven't got it. Where can I get it? I I can't get it on my own. Oh, I know. I'll I'll go to Jesus. And he's the righteous one. And ask him. and He'll give me his righteousness. He'll cover me with his goodness and his perfection. So that when I stand before God, it isn't my goodness and my perfection, but it's his. But his is perfect, and so, so so, the Lord will, God will accept me in Jesus. So we have to be in the Lord. So in the Lord, he says, then you're joined with him, and there is, of course, this this strength. And it's real strength. It's real power. Uh, you remember from, back from Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, where uh, Paul is talking about the power power of God and and what is true for us. And he said that he's praying that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power, his power that is toward us, comes to us, who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He says, this power that's towards us is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power that's towards us is power that gives life where there isn't life, gives life where there's death. He says, is that powerful? That's the kind of power it is. Oh, we can through our medical community and and so forth see people who are sick made well. But when someone's dead, He said, no, this power can speak to those who are dead and raise them up. And not only physically dead, but significantly here spiritually dead and bring life with their spiritual deadness. It's that kind of it's that kind of power. And then he said uh, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and to put all things under his feet, that under the feet of Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness who fills all in all. The sense there is that, that now Jesus... Is raised to this point of power, this point of power where he's seated over everything for the church, for our sake, if you will. He's seated over everything, rules and reigns over everything. And so that power that rules and reigns over ev- over, even over evil, that is that evil will not overtake him. It's that power that's given to us. And so when Paul says there's this spiritual battle, saying you need to be strengthened in the Lord, and you might say, well, how does that help? Well, that helps because you see you haven't got the power to overcome it and you already know that because you've already admitted that when you came to faith. And then secondly, this power is the power that raised Jesus from the dead that brings life where there's death. And this is the power that rules over sin and death, that rules over evil. It's that power and that's exactly the power you need in order to survive, in order to be victorious, in order to triumph over evil. Is that too fast? Are you okay with that? Breathe. Come on. All right. There you go. Get this. All right? You need to get this. It's that power. Please know that if you're a believer in Jesus, you need not fear, in this sense, these spiritual forces, because in him, you can indeed be strengthened with the might that He has that has conquered sin and death. All right, together on that. It's this kind of strength. Paul talked about this kind of strength already in Ephesians chapter three, verse sixteen. It's in the middle of a prayer, and he's praying that we would that according. To the riches of God's glory that he would grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. That same power to strengthen us within. Spiritually strengthen us within. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We need that power of God to overcome our unbelief so that Jesus can live in us. And that we're in him. How close is Jesus to us? That close to where the best expression is that he's in us, right? That's the sense we're joined together with him. And, And when Christ is in us, you see, what comes to us is a comprehension of that which is incomprehensible, which is the love of Christ. And when we know the love of Christ, you see, then we're strong. Why? Because we know that if he loves us, he's for us. And we know that if he's for us, who can be against us? And you may say, well, a lot can be against us. And yeah, I know what you mean. But the point of that is that he's for us. If he's for us, who can be against us? Romans chapter 8. The point is that whoever is against us can't overtake us. Whether it's heights or deaths or powers or principalities or things present or things to come or anything else in all creation and so it's that strength so he, that's what he's calling uh, us to that's what he's calling us to now notice the purpose of all of this is that we're able to stand that's how he, he puts it he puts it a number of different times four different times in the passage that i i read um and he says in verse 11 put on the whole armor of god so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil um And later in verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all that to stand firm, verse 14, stand therefore. Now, when you hear the word stand, I mean, you realize what it means. It means be immovable. Don't don't give up anything. Don't give up any ground. If you're in a battle and you're standing, it means that you're not giving up any of of your ground that, that you have. Now, he doesn't mean by that that we're inactive. Right? It doesn't mean by standing that we're uh, inactive. When, when he tells us to put on the armor of God, we'll see that's a very active thing. All of that is active. We're engaged in that practice of putting on the armor of God. It's, it's active. Not only that, in other places like in 1 Peter chapter 5, Paul says that we're to resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's, that's active resistance in various ways that he describes in that passage. Not only that we're active, in that we we take the light, the message of the gospel, right into the teeth of the darkness. That's active. Paul even even prays, verse nineteen, he says, Pray for me, ask them to pray, pray for me that my words may be the words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm am an ambassador in chains, that is in prison, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. In other words, in other words, he's saying, Enable me to, to act. So this Standing doesn't mean that we're inactive. It's true for us as well as we fulfill the commission that Jesus gave to us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's, it, there's an activity. But he's saying, listen, what I want to stress here when I say stand is to realize that the battle's already been won. The battle's already been won. There isn't a sense in which we're taking, <laughs> right? Right? Because it already is. The battle's already been won. The enemy's already been defeated. Christ has already been raised from the dead. He's already ruling and reigning. So the, the battle, you see, has been been won. One scholar put it like this. He said, this goal of standing, for which we arm ourselves, is repeated four times in this passage Clearly, Paul wants us to be immovable and steadfast and unshaken by the attacks of the enemy. He means that we're told to hold our position, to resist, to refuse to surrender ground to the enemy, to resist him in what he wants to do to us and what he wants for us to do, and then to preserve and maintain what has already been won. He you know, starts out, Paul does, telling us what's already true. In chapter 1, he says, listen. As believers in Jesus, you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing. Been chosen to Him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Already done. Already done. In love, He predestined you to be adopted. Already done. As a believer in Jesus, you're you're already in you're already in the family of God you already belong to him he's your father, you're his child he hears you, all the blessings of having the perfect father who happens to be God who has everything that we need who loves us perfectly you're already there, it's already there you've already got it, battle's already been won you've already already got it you've been forgiven your sins already happened already done You've been redeemed. You've already been bought. There's no gift return on the package. <laughs> you've already been bought. That's it. It's not going to take you back. It's not going to return you. You've already been bought. So that's, that's. I think I'm pretty good, cool to know there was a gift return thing. I think I learned that. Uh, already been bought, you see. Already done. Already, the inheritance is already yours. It's there. It's being kept, you've already been sealed by the Holy Spirit who lives in you as the guarantee that everything that's been promised is really yours, truly done. He tells us that though we were dead, now we're alive. He tells us we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places in that sense, already there, already done. That's where we live, if you will, spiritually. That's, that's, That's home for us. Already there. We've been saved by grace through faith. There's already good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. We've already been reconciled to God. We've already been reconciled to each other as believers in Jesus. We're brothers and sisters in him. He's our father. Uh, we're in the same household. We're in the same living temple. All of that's true, you see. All that's true. And now he says, don't give that up. Because the evil one's going to come against all that. He's going to come against all that. Now, now it's kind of crazy for him to do that in a sense, but that just shows the evil of evil. He can't really take it away from us, but he'll try. He's going to make life miserable for us as believers in Jesus. And so it, Paul's just saying, no, stand, people. Please know what is true. Please know what has happened. Please know what can't be taken. Now, now here's the deal, though. We're between the first advent and the second advent of Jesus. So all these things are there, The evil one has really been defeated. But for whatever reason, under the reasons of God, he hasn't yet been destroyed. He's still there. Still wreaking havoc in various ways. And we have to take it seriously. It's a real battle. God is using this. Please understand. He's using this for his glory and our good. He's using it for his glory and our good. We'll get to this in a minute if I have it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, How late do you want to stay? But... He's using even the evil one for his glory and, and our good. So he's saying, just stand, stand, stand. And so he, he identifies the enemy. He says, this is the devil. No big surprise there. We're accustomed to... The devil, we, we, we see him in Genesis chapter 3, as he comes and begins this whole onslaught on, on the crown of God's creation human beings as he comes to Eve and lies to her about what God has said and tries then to, to and does entice her, if you will, to follow him at least in that moment, in that, in that sense, wherein then God comes immediately uh, after that and finds Adam and Eve and makes this promise that one will come and destroy this evil one. And in the destroying of this evil one, he himself will be affected, but not crushed, not destroyed. And we can see the... The whole sense of this here, verse 12, uh, or verse 11, he says, they're schemes of the devil. No surprise, again, because we know the word devil means a liar, a slanderer, an accuser, and all of that. And that's what he does. He comes and says, this really isn't true of you, is it? I mean, I mean, God says that you're holy and blameless in his sight, but look at your life, that can't be true. He can't really receive you like that. And, and he says that you're adopted into his family, but, but really, come on, yeah, that can't be true, not you. It says you're redeemed, you've been bought with a price, but, but, but really, you're not worth that, are you? You're not you, you wouldn't, not you. You're forgiven your sins, but, but look at the way you live. An in, in inheritance, how do you know that's there? Right. Death. Is an awful thing. And when death happens, you begin to think about, is this really true? And the evil one comes, you see, in the midst of those moments. How do you know this is really true? How do you know this is really true? And it's times like that, you see, we need to be strengthened in the Lord. And we need to rehearse again all that is really true. And he gives strength, you see, in those moments. Because the evil one lies. But God is true. And so we see it. He says we we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Now we do wrestle against flesh and blood. People can... Make life miserable for us, right? Very often the evil one works through people as they come against us. Uh, many of, uh, you know, people can entice us to sin and tempt us to sin and we go along with them. And sometimes people sin against us in so many different ways that it, it really bruises us and, and, and really wounds us. And, and so we know that we do wrestle against flesh and blood. But what Paul is saying is there's something deeper than that. I don't want you to miss it. You can't see it, so I want to tell you about it. there really is this... Evil spiritual reality there, and he says, so we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's saying there's this, there's this whole thing you can't see, and and we, we get that we know that God we can't see Him, angels, demons, all of that. But he says, I want you to realize there's really this evil spiritual dimension, and it's and it and it's real, and it's organized, and it's against God. No, it isn't sovereign. It isn't omniscient. It isn't omnipresent. There aren't like there are two gods vying to win eternal godship. It isn't that. There's one God, Satan, and all these demons are created beings. They can only do what he ordains. We learn that in many ways, but certainly through the life of Job. And as I said, you see, All of these, Satan himself ultimately works for the glory of God. And you say, well, how? Well, I don't know exactly. I know this will come as a surprise to you. I'm not God. So I don't know everything. But I can say this. That this evil that exists... And that God permits to come against us in various ways. Is designed by God to turn us to him that he might be glorified. It's designed by God to turn us away from ourselves. You remember what Paul said, 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 12. He said, because of his pride that's the implication a thorn in the flesh was given to him a messenger from Satan to buffet him what did that do? Paul said it reminded me of my weakness it reminded me that I needed God and you know what I learned from all that? Then when I'm weak, I'm strong. That's a silly thing to say. Unless what you're saying is, when I know my own weakness, I'm poor in spirit. Then I leave myself and I go to God. Then I'm strong. So if Satan comes against you in any way, in the midst of this battle, and you feel your, your weakness, it isn't time to grit your teeth and try to do better. It's time to leave yourself and your own trust in yourself and your own strength and go to the Lord. And then when you go to the Lord, you see, you find strength. And you can say, well, then how do we go to the Lord? Well, ponder these things, and we'll get to that next week. All right. But I hate to leave you because maybe you can't come next week. So I'll just tell you this. that you need to put on the belt of truth? Do you need to know the truth of God? Do you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness? That is. that you need to know where your righteousness comes from? And it comes from Christ. And then as he gives you his righteousness, and by the power of the Spirit, we live that out. And then we need to, to really know the gospel. Really know the gospel that brings peace. Peace with God and with one another and live that out. And we need to know that we, we need to have a shield of faith. We need to be believing so that every time all one of these lies from the evil one comes to us, we can, we can catch it in this shield and, and extinguish it so that it doesn't destroy us. So, so we need to have this, we need to believe. We need to have the helmet of salvation. Our minds must be filled with the truth of the salvation of Jesus. We need to have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We need to wield it as Jesus wielded it before Satan. And we need to take that word, that, 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 that sword up, that word of God up praying all the time that God will enable us to know it, God will enable us to believe it, that God will work in us in such a way that he'll be glorified. Now, well, it's just a hint. But ponder these things. Don't be afraid. Don't be complacent. Be strong. Be made strong. In the Lord. And in his might. Let's pray. Father. Hmm. I pray God that you would be with us. You know s- sometimes we read about the devil. And it just seems crazy. But then we, we look at the world. And we see evil. In fact we think of some of our own thoughts. And the words that we've said. And even things in our own lives and and, and we get evil so we thank you for revealing this to us letting us know this We, we, we wouldn't have known it had you not revealed it we can't see it the spiritual dimension that is real we thank you that Christ has conquered enabled us to live in the truth of all that he has done and all that is true of us and not give up an inch of it. To live in it, live in his truth, live in his righteousness, live in the peace which we have through him, live in the salvation that comes only through him. Live knowing that as we call upon you, you will hear us and give us strength. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.